Welcome to season three of Spotless, breaking the boundaries of television, where creative, technology, and television converge. Brought to you by two media trailblazers, Triple Lift and Advertising Week, Spotless brings you conversations with the industry's boldest and most inspiring voices. I'm your host, Alexis Ruff, and with me today is Eve Gabarro, the founder and CEO of Modern Films. Welcome to Spotless. Thanks. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining us for the third season and congratulations on Modern Film's most recent critically acclaimed Oscar and BAFTA winning film, Drive My Car. Uh, It's an incredible masterpiece. Uh, You're no stranger to award-winning films. What goes into representing, producing, and distributing such major projects? Um, Well, I guess it sort of happens over time, doesn't it? You learn about what... uh, what kinds of films work to different audiences and who are the different producers you work with or the different international sales agents that represent the rights to films. So I think all that mixed together and then there are the are sort of create a, a sense of, of what a film is and, and where it sits uh, in general, especially because you know, we're based in the UK. So we look at the UK and Irish markets, but then we also look across the, the value chain. You know, are we getting involved in production? Are we looking at it as a nearly finished film, a work in progress or finished film at a festival or even after a festival. So it depends on what our role is, where we fit in and what's happening in the market at the time. There's an art to it in a way that comes from knowing a lot about different films and, and, and different sensitivities and tastes and markets and cinemas and the way they show films and programmers and festivals. But the other side is just what feels good, what you take away from it and what you think other people will too. Yeah, there's that that business side where you would run numbers and comparables and estimates and forecasts. And, you know, studios are very good at that almost to the, to the penny because they can look at what's their star value, what's their marketing spend, you know, how many sites are they going to open in? And they could sort of figure out pretty much how much they're going to make uh, at least pre COVID. Um, Whereas in the independent world, it's a little uh, less scientific. And even though we do do that, we do try to professionalize it by looking at what are some similar films in that indie space. But really, we, we just go with what we think we can do with it. And, and can we reach, at the very least, a niche target market for that film and then expand it beyond there? So a lot goes into every single decision. <laughs> yeah, preparation. I mean, it seems, you know, a lot of people just think films, I mean, this is not to trivialize what what audiences are, who they are, but that film just miraculously appears on the screen. But there is so much, you know, work that goes into into that, and and not only on the mechanics sides of the technical technical delivery, um, just more on the programming side and talking about it, marketing and press, and and positioning it and finding the right voice for for the film. So we do try to to deliver something that feels natural. I suppose the organic side comes from <laughs> from uh, practice and and preparation. Unbelievable. And going into some of that work, you know, stepping back to look at modern films as a, as a corporation, it's, it's a female-led, social issues-driven film production, distribution, and virtual cinema company. That is, that is basically everything that anybody would want. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about your background and your path to becoming a creator and CEO and, and the innovation of modern films? Sure. Um, in terms of education, I ha- I did my undergrad in political science and modern languages. So I was always very interested in international uh, relations and storytelling and ended up working in Japan and China for a couple of years. And uh, then I went back to Canada, to Vancouver, where I'm from, and I ended up working um, 
uh, on a film festival there, which had a very strong East Asian element and worked across the program and guests uh, there for a couple of years and also did a, an MA in communications and East Asian, East Asian studies that took me to London and worked across film journalism and uh, festival programming. And somehow, um, as I've said before, I didn't grow up as a little girl thinking, I'm gonna be a film distributor, but it kind of led to that because I knew I wanted to do something international, something cultural, um, and somehow distribution really fits very well into that. It's not academic, it's not public sector, but it, it crosses over to those two things. Plus it's very much grounded in, in entertainment and media, which um, I also uh, had a, a vision to work in. So that all that kind of came together. Um, Personally, and then professionally, I ended up setting up a, a distribution company called Soda Pictures in 2002-3 time uh, that I ran for 15 years with a, a business partner and that we at some point sold uh, to a, a media group based in both Vancouver, Toronto and, and in LA, who were backers of Blade Runner and um, various other projects. So it seemed like a really great match. And it was a good way for us to move the company into a, a different space. I think uh, buy bigger films, spend more on campaigns, reach wider audiences, also multi-territory deals. So that all happened. And as sometimes um, is the way when you sell your own company after a, a three year working together period, I, I moved on and uh, I thought maybe I would take a career break and look at the industry differently and think about it. And then of course I just started up again, <laughs> exactly, not exactly the same way, but it was sort of like one last job. I had taken a, a film with me, if, if, if that's the uh, right expression of film I had acquired under that banner called Manifesto starring uh, Kate Blanchett in 13 different roles. And it was a, had been an installation piece turned into a, a feature film format. And I felt like it really needed some nurturing, some, uh, tender loving care on how you release it, how you position it. So we, uh, so I took it on and put a team together and we released it uh, as an event cinema release in partnership with Tate Modern and did all sorts of crossovers um, with the uh, art world and the, the film world. And that's something that I'm also very passionate about this kind of space between those two. So that's how I got to, to distribution and how to set up modern films. And then now that was five years ago. And uh, we've built up a library of about 100 films and a lot of event cinema. And then, as you mentioned, the, the virtual side, that was really a pivot uh, during COVID. I know there are some companies in the U.S. who are really strong pioneers of it as well, Kimo Lorber and Film Movement, for example, which was really partnering with movie theaters, cinemas while they were closed to allow them to offer new releases um, and share the ticket price and uh, be rolled into the global box office uh, results. So that was something that we've been, we were working on while theaters were closed, but we're still working on it as a concept on how can new releases be positioned as a physical experience in the theater on date, or alternatively, still, still support your local cinema, but watch it virtually or digitally. It's just such an amazing organic evolution of uh, your professional experience of, and it always seems to be like that, where it's something that comes out of almost nowhere. And you're like, Oh, I'll take this on. It just seems like you have, you've just like rolled into this in such a natural way and undertaken every new opportunity and, and really done something remarkable with it. 
Well, well, that's very nice to say, but you know, it's a really interesting job, I, I think, and it's really driven by the people we work with and the stories that we uh, get to promote and to position. And so there's a real kind of satisfaction, I suppose, of taking all this creativity and allowing other people to experience it either on the big screen or in, in on other formats. So that's the fun part of the job, I think. You know, sometimes we, you know, a lot of the time, I'm sure we'll get into this, but you fight, fight for that voice or fight to, for recognition. But at the stage I'm in, I do try to buy sort of A-list festival uh, programmed films. So we're we're already at a, quite a high level, but still there's a there's a lot of there are a lot of gatekeepers along the way that um, need to also <laughs> hear hear what you're saying and see your vision <laughs> alongside you, alongside everybody else's films and stories and events and things that are going on. So on that and uh, the work that you do uh, as it evolves with different projects and different audiences. How has content development changed in the last decade? And, and what about distribution? And are there any particular milestones behind this evolution? Well, it's funny, I was just in Cannes at the film festival and Guillermo del Toro uh, was part of a panel on directors and the future of cinema. And he said one of the worst words that's been uh, developed over the last few years is content in, in terms of, of film. And, and you know, I, I hear myself uh, saying it and using it quite a lot, but I, I also hear what he's saying. It's so important to, to distinguish between content and film in the world that we work in, especially the independent cinema. Um, space because we need to continuously uh, express what it is uh, and, and for it to continue or for it to, to survive, there has to be an ecosystem behind it, which allows production, development, production, um, delivery, sales, and then ultimately distribution and exhibition. So content is one thing. And I think content as a, as a term is great because it's all the different um, media and the different formats and the different viewing platforms, you know, so much goes into what content is, but in that space with, within it, uh, film, we have to look at it as what is it? How should it be seen? How should it be positioned? How should people pay for it? I think this is a big uh, issue behind the scenes that we're all talking about. You know, how do we monetize film to a level that makes sense that we can all survive? You know, we don't need to, to build in extra middle people, we actually need to streamline it more and, and get right to the core of, of how much does a production budget need to be in order to make a film that then finds its audience. So in terms of the evolution of content, you know, there's just so many more places where we can place films, but there are also, as I said before, so many more gatekeepers. So it, it, when we can control the process and the, the messaging to audiences, it's great, but we also need to, um, get that message across so people can see it. So there are more, there are more spaces, but there's also more, there are more choices, there's more content, there's more, there are more films, there are more uh, ways to view them. So how, how it all balances out, um, we'll see. You know, we see Netflix now looking at potentially advertising models or AVOD models across uh, TVOD, so, and SVOD. That's, that's, you know, there's talk that that's just like television repeating itself, but online. Potentially, maybe television got it right in the first place and that advertising uh, works. Um, but I think then there's maybe an, uh, not an onus, but maybe a, a new look at, how, at the creativity behind advertising. You know, advertising went from sort of basic sales tool to really incredible creativity. Maybe there's a new wave of, of interesting advertising models through uh, digital distribution. Yeah, I think every year, especially in the, you know, the television upfronts that just happened and um, every platform is showing 
you know, their new advertising opportunities. I think that all of this is just an ever-changing landscape. Um, delving a bit into what you were just referring to about the way that films are now consumed, which is not exclusive to the theater anymore. You can now purchase them via streaming services in your living room. Cinema has become, you know, a, an at-home experience. How are independent distribution companies adapting to this new landscape? Yeah, working really closely with exhibitors, I think, with the movie chains themselves or the individual independent sites, of which there are a lot in the UK, of how are they communicating with the audience and how long are they going to keep the film on or how can we event drive it or what are other ways we can pick up the pieces. And what I was saying about virtual cinema is one way um, because they do share the, the ticket price. So if that helps drive more sales at the at the release time, at the opening few weeks, then, then that's really great for them. So I think that's what it is, um, is working a lot with exhibition who have the, the sort of front face with the audiences, but also we do as distributors because we suddenly aren't just the logo at the front of the film. We have our own social media, we have our own networks, we have our own way of reaching audiences. Um, but with limited budgets, you've got to start thinking about how much should we spend or how much time should, how much money should we spend on paid advertising or uh, promotions or how much time should we spend on nurturing partnerships and uh, organic communications. And I think in terms of our budget levels, probably the latter is, makes more sense, but it's, it's a bit less simple to, or straightforward to quantify because you've got to really reach out to as many different uh, resources as you can, and hopefully they'll respond and they'll help spread the message. Um, but uh, we always you know, do boosted posts and things like that. And But our, our, our key to all the ways that we reach audiences is through um, partnerships and uh, organizational um, promotions, promotions with organizations that are like-minded for the themes of the film. So we sort of start again with each campaign in each film, but that's also a kind of fun part of the brainstorming at the beginning we might have 25 different ideas that then goes down to about 15 then 10 and then if five of them work out well we're happy and you get to build those new relationships with you know different different partners who are coming together with the creative yeah and because a lot of our films are in this social impact space there's a lot of repetition to to our partnerships so if they're happy with the way it went one time even with a different theme we can we can sort of reposition it or recreate the uh, assets around it and, and, but still similar messaging and, and um, route to market. So you've talked about the need to give audiences choices, that they want choices. With that, how do you determine what kind of creative, what kind of storytelling is going to break through in today's culture and resonate with audiences? Yeah, I think that comes back to what I was talking about, about acquisition strategies. When we look at a film, say, premieres at, at a film festival like Cannes last week, um, you watch it, you think, what are the key elements in this film? Besides really liking the film, what else? What are the hooks? What can we, what can we build on, both in terms of partnerships and just audience um, drivers? So they can say, oh, yeah, I get it. So like Drive My Car, for example, we knew it was based on a Murakami uh, story is already a very good hook. If it suddenly was getting five-star reviews, you can, you know, hook onto that. Um, a love story or kind of uh, pensive road movie. These are these are elements that you can start to build on. Um, you know that you can work with the publisher uh, of, of Murakami's books. You know you can work with um, Japanese different different Japanese organizations, which we did from the embassy all the way to the tourist office to uh, cultural centers um, across the UK to festivals. So you just start to build. Um, 
an idea of what are the different components. You know, can you go to, into fashion? Can you go into music? Can you go into art, visual arts? Can you go into culture? Can you go into maybe um, human rights? You know, we do a lot of films around um, true stories and where they delve into maybe a, an aspect of, uh, uh, of a violation of human rights or a courtroom drama. From the story itself, we build out blocks and, and, and partners and kind of create extra stories on the side. So that's how I think we assess what a film is and how, how audiences might, they need, a little, they need a little help to be, to know what it is. You know, I was talking about, we, um, we had the film years ago, Tony Erdman, and I came back from Cannes very happy having um, acquired the film and told the team, we have this three hour German comedy sort of silence <laughs> they said is that possible said, no, no, no. that's that's the hook three-hour german comedy or years ago we had a film called wajda by haifa al-mansur which was the first uh film out of saudi arabia and it was directed by a woman so we when i came back it was at venice uh that year uh in the orizonte section I again came back to the team i've got this you know, saudi film uh to release in this sort of silence i said no we're gonna turn it around from being a film from Saudi, never really heard of any films from there, film culture there, to being the first film from Saudi by a female director called Wajda, and the film's called Wajda, and really like work on how the name, the title was quite difficult, but make it, make it part of what was the hook. And that, that really worked. So sometimes the, the difficulties become the strength of the film. But also just so much creativity that you're that you're describing going into you know the distribution process, which is absolutely remarkable. Yeah, and that comes down to the films themselves, but also the starting with the international sales agents who we work with. They've created a campaign usually as a starting point, and then we build from that. And our team, you know, from my core team, which crosses marketing, press, sales, um, exhibition, home and ancillary, all those different areas, but also we have. You know, uh, PR agencies we work with, marketing agencies, um, the lab, even the lab that does the delivery, they become part of the, the process. Um, so the whole team together, as I said, we generally for each film, we'll have a big brainstorming session, come up with this master document and then break it down. And it's usually about three to four months. So once the film is out in the world, how do you measure success? Yeah, historically, it was like, how did it do in its opening weekend? And I think now the opening weekend, unless it's Top Gun, of course, then it's a big story and it's great. And I saw Top Gun and Canon is very fun. And I see that getting people out to the cinema, it's super important, especially across all age groups. But in terms of how we measure success and then how, say, Netflix or even a more indie streamer like Mubi, it's not about that because they're not even, for the most part, looking at theatrical box office. So I think we have to be more, much more holistic about how we gauge a success of a film, which is hard to, to um, quantify at the very beginning or even just talk about in the press or talk about with exhibitors because everybody just wants to know what are the numbers, what are the numbers? And some of them aren't even publicly traded numbers or if it's an SDOD deal, you're getting a license so you don't know if one or a million people watch the film. Again, from us, it's did we make money on the film, I guess. And, you know, in, in our level, it's just enough to cover our overheads and keep going and, and you know, uh, feed into the overall cash flow of the company. Um, but I think our measure of our success is, did it, did it get good reviews? Well, was it well received? But even that, you know, we look at uh, how a lot of people consume media now, and they're not always influenced by the reviews. Sometimes even a bad review can be a a positive depending on what it says so but we're still quite review driven success comes from these different relationships 
that you have to build. And then also, you know, numbers mean something totally different today. Right. So yeah, going back to that gauge of success for me, a success is did it get a good theatrical release, even if it was short-lived, but was it solid? Did, did people see it? Did the, did the director or the writer or, or the talent or the overall package make an impact? Did it help them as well, maybe for their next next projects? Um, then did we move it along across uh, the film value chain? Did we release it? Uh, on, well, always release it on TVOD, on, on uh, transactional, because we can, we can just do that. We have deals with all the main platforms. And then did we get a streamer deal or a TV deal? That becomes the next key part of the puzzle, I think. And did we break through um, to get a license fee or a revenue share? Revenue share is quite uh, common, but getting a proper license deal either with with Amazon or with uh, who we have had historically quite good output deals with across different thematics of our films, but also you know with Apple, probably not because we only sell the UK rights and they're much more interested in a global deal. Um, Netflix, depending on if they're looking for UK content and we do a lot of British films could work. And then there's Mubi, of course, um, who could either acquire directly from us um, or or they also have their own theatrical division. So how can we work together with them? And then there's the next stage for the UK, which is Channel 4 or BBC, really. So is that a first window, second window, full license? And then is there just something else that popped up? Sometimes there's things that come along that we hadn't anticipated, maybe a sponsor or um, a major cultural institution that wants to do an event around the film and really highlight it as part of their program. So there's lots of different things that together form the success, I guess. So on that on that note, with, with there being so many options today to consume television and movies, do you think we're getting farther away from the art of meaningful storytelling or are we actually getting closer to the, the core that, that audiences are looking for from that emotional standpoint? I hope it's it's that second part, because I think if we're moving farther away from storytelling, plus all the obstacles and barriers, then we just really will end up with with nothing interesting. And I think there are still so many stories to tell with experienced and emerging uh, talent that we just need to, to keep a, a framework alive where they can still be able to express themselves and, and find audiences. So I think actually, you know, they say that art comes out of difficult times that really there will emerge um, some really amazing stories out of the next few years. It's interesting to see at festivals, there's always a theme that naturally emerges uh, in films. I think this year at Cannes was really about trauma and recovering from trauma. There were so many films um, that were something bleak and then something bright. Uh, that really seemed to be a very big theme uh, that probably just naturally emerged in the last two, three years, what people have been going through. So then to see what happens in the next two, three years out of that, I think there will be some very interesting stories, originality. Yeah, hopefully that's sort of, sort of instead of the, well, baby, maybe there's a baby boom too, but maybe a story boom <laughs> will come out of having been home for a couple of years and looking at the world from the inside out rather than, than the other way, especially for writers and directors. Um, but I, I do think that, um, you know, it will carry on with storytelling. It's just, maybe there will be fewer, fewer films because I mean, there's always going to be a plethora of, of low budget films that don't quite cut through, but those ones that really can, can make it, um, uh, through from festivals to distribution and exhibition. Uh, there may be fewer, but that's okay because there are so many, but there's also room for newcomers and new voices or uh, an established voice to kind of 
come through in a different way. So I'm always very open, uh, but there's just, there is so much um, to go through. It can be a bit mind boggling. I, we had our whole team in Canvas here and I think more junior team, parts of the team who had not been before were quite overwhelmed by, especially the market side of it, of how many stalls there were, how many people, how much content, but they all have their different different ways and of reaching audiences. It is exciting though that that so many new things are coming out and uh, that we have the opportunity to keep uh, seeing things even even though the times of our world have changed a little. In, in looking forward towards what I love the line you said about a story boom, are there any <laughs> projects that you're working on that you're super excited about or that you're anxiously waiting for the world to see? Yeah, you know, last year when I came back from Cannes with Drive My Car, I really felt so excited to shout out about it. And this year, having come from Cannes, we're still looking at what films we will acquire. There was some 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 great stuff um, that we're looking at, but uh, I don't know, we're not supposed to reveal our, our acquisitions, but there were some films I really liked. One, um, if, if it's sort of in that kind of um, trauma aspect, there were two very good ones. Um, one called Paris Memories by Alice Winokur um, about a shooting in a restaurant and sort of recovering from that. And another film called More Than Ever, or Plus Que Jamais by Emily Atef um, that stars Vicky Kritz and Gaspar Uliel, who very sadly died in a ski accident earlier this year. So it was a very harrowing and beautiful screening to, to see someone so kind of young and uh, alive, knowing, knowing the reality, but doesn't change the fact of the film. That was, I thought that was really good. There's an, a very funny uh, Norwegian film called Sick of Myself, which is maybe the opposite of last year's The Worst Person in the World. Even one of the reviews said, uh, it's too bad the title The Worst Person in the World is already taken because this character, the character really is the worst person in the world. Also Norwegian, also the same uh, production company, a lot of the same vibe about kind of urban um, insecurities in Norway or in just in general universal things. But I thought it was very fun. And um, and then in terms of films that were picked up that were in competition that uh, were a lot talked about, my, definitely my hands down my favorite film of the festival was Close by Lucas Daunt who made the film Girl um, about childhood friendships and kind of precarious uh, strength and sadness and uh, consequences behind that and it won the jury prize really was wonderful and um, the Korean film decision to leave also very very strong I think those are that's kind of my highlights of the festival and what I'd like to see this year um, in terms of independent films um, and then we'll see what else is to come a lot on the horizon um, very exciting to see uh, bleakness turning into light these all sound super compelling we we like to end our conversation with a prediction on the future of television. But since movies and films are now so ingrained in the streaming world, based on all the growth, the data, the trends we're seeing to date, where do you think the film industry will stand when it comes to distribution in the next five years? Will movie theaters still be a thing that we go to? Yeah, I think movie theaters will survive, but they really need to be a place that people want to go to and be part of it and maybe stick around afterwards and talk about the film rather than just leave straight after. I think that's a big part of why you go out is to to it to be part of a bigger conversation. If you watch it at home, you're on your own, which is a great thing too. But I so I think there will be a lot more um, choice, a lot more emphasis on choice, but your choices are based on do you want to stay home or do you want to go out rather than do you want to see a film on the big screen or not? Because people have great screens at home and they have choice. So I, I, I don't think theaters will die, but I do think they need to 
uh, find their place. Maybe, you know, like Metrograph in New York, I think is an amazing place in terms of having a lot of event-driven um, screenings and bringing things that maybe you wouldn't want to watch by yourself or you want to go out and watch it with someone else or you want to see it in the context of that, that space. Um, ticket price is a, is a big, big thing. I know there was an article um, by Curzon, who are a chain, indie, indie chain here, saying that they're going to bring ticket prices down, at least in the short term, and have a lot of under 25 uh, promotions and memberships. And that's good, too, I think building up a younger audience for wanting to go see um, more than the mainstream. So I think that that's a big space for development, um, keeping that sort of theatrical side of cinema alive so it's not content. Thank you, Guillermo. And, uh, and then also, this television is so great. Um, and series, high-end series made, being made by you know, film directors, by actors, leading film actors historically. So distinguishing between them might be a little bit less too, or looking at films a bit more episodically or serially or television in cinemas and films in on television. So, you know, just to think even 10 years ago, we were still releasing films on 35 mil prints. So the, the colossal change in terms of um, the mechanics of film and then also the windowing and how people watch films and where has changed so fast that we can't even quite predict. There's probably gonna be a slowdown in terms of technology now, but it's now where it all fits and sits. Well, I, for one, um, am looking forward to getting back to the theater to get to re-experience that escapism. Um, Eve, this has been an incredible conversation. I really hope that this inspires uh, people to dream when they are little girls to become film distributors because you were doing so much with it. It was really a pleasure to speak to you. Well, thank you for having me. It was really great to think about what I do. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Spotless. To hear more from our guests, find us in the Apple, Spotify, and Google podcast stores. Tune in next week for more from the boldest voices across creative technology and television. I'm your host, Alexis Ruff. I love TV and I hate camping. <laughs>